You know, it's always true. I, I don't know why I uniquely feel it so much this morning that uh, in this moment of transition, there's a holy moment that's taking place. And uh, sometimes we feel like we're going from one thing to the other, but really we're going from one thing to the same thing, uh, which is the worship of God Almighty. And so uh, even this morning, as we make some transitions and open our Bibles, if you sense the Lord at work in your heart, uh, would you just take some time to write down what it is that is obedience, that God is calling you to do and, and do that? I, I just am so sensitive to the prayer that Evan has prayed this morning that if you sense the Lord at work in your heart today, that you respond to that. Uh, amen, 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 amen. That is uh, what I encourage you to do this morning. I also encourage you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 9 this morning. Uh, as we are going to be uh, looking at God's Word and understanding more about His character, but also a little bit about us. I I want to begin this morning by telling you that I have two goals uh, today. One is to help us understand the work of God in our life a little bit better, and the other uh, is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and help us to focus and understand a little bit on the character of who the risen Lord is. That's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, Studies say that people can remember two things uh, very easily. And so I give you two goals this morning. One is for us to understand a little bit better the work of God in our life. Uh, And the other one is for us to consider the character of of God Almighty as it's expressed in Acts chapter 9. So if you're in Acts chapter 9 this morning, uh, we're going to be starting out by reading uh, about nine verses out of God's Word. Uh, We're going to study these first two points. If you have your notes there in front of you, if you're a guest, we like to give notes. It helps people write things down and remember them better. Uh, And then by the time that we finish our third point this morning, we've gotten a little bit further than verse 9. But for this moment, uh, let's look at verse 9 in God's Word. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9 says, uh, there's a character named Saul. Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. The operative word there is still. So all of the book of Acts is this character named Saul, and he's already uh, contributed to the death. We call it the martyrdom of the first Christian. His name is Stephen. And he is so against the church uh, that he is actively, ferociously, viciously persecuting those people who are followers of Jesus. So still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, this guy Saul went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now here's what that means. He has gone, this Saul guy, to the high priest, and he's gotten letters, permission, written permission, that he can go to Damascus and go to the synagogues. Now, if you're new to faith and you go, what's a synagogue? Kind of like a church a little bit. So he was going to go to the synagogues, and if he found anybody there who belonged to the way, who followed Jesus, he was, by the authority of the high priest, able to handcuff them, take them back to Jerusalem, where they would be put in jail. Now, pick up in verse 3. It says, Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, 
And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So that's the scripture that we're going to look at this morning to cover these first two points. If you have your notes, you see this morning that our first two points are flowing from this idea of how does the risen Lord respond act, behave? What do we learn about the risen Lord as the Lord is interacting with not his holy ones who are praising his name? No, on the contrary, when the Lord Jesus is interacting with people who call themselves enemies of the cross, opponents of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, how does the Lord interact with those people? And so I want you to write these notes down this morning. The first one helps us to understand God's own work in our life, and that is that it's usually both confusing and transforming. Uh, When God is at work in our life, oftentimes the divine activity in the life of a human being is both confusing and transforming at the same time. Now, after you make that note, let me ask you just to glance back at your scripture. I want you to see where we find this in God's word. So we know that it is the Lord who initiated an interaction between he and Saul And I want you to see in verse 4, it says, Now Saul fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Think about how beautiful of a thought this is. Here is the grace and mercy of God. The Lord is voluntarily, redemptively presenting himself to Saul. And the first thing that Saul demonstrates is that he's confused. Look at verse 5. Who are you, Lord? Can you imagine a a light so bright that you end up laying on your face on the side of the road? And you're having this religious, powerful, spiritual experience. And you can't put your finger on what's going on because it's never happened to you before. And you were just overcome with awe. And you were on your face before God. And all of a sudden, somebody's calling out your name. It's a, it's a voice you've never heard before. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He might have been thinking, is this Stephen coming back to haunt me? Like, what's going on? He says, who are you, Lord? He was confused. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ was talking directly to him, and he was confused. And so oftentimes when God is at work in the life of humans, it is transforming, no doubt. We're going to look at the transforming nature of the presence of God, but before we do that, let's understand it's often confusing as well. Now you may be this morning saying, wait a second, I'm not an enemy of the Lord. I'm not in opposition to the Lord. I show up on Sunday. I sing my praises. I've got my Right Now Media app. I'm studying the Bible throughout the week. I'm saying my prayers. I'm giving my tithes. I love the Lord and I'm still confused at what God is doing in my life. I say, welcome into the boat. 
Can I just tell you that? It isn't just the enemies of God that get confused by what God is doing in their life sometimes. Now, I think of the the leaders in the Old Testament. And maybe you're here this morning and this is kind of like the first time that you've bumped into the Christian faith before. You haven't been to church before. And you may not know a lot about the Bible, but there's some characters in the Old Testament that God did amazing things through them. They were confused almost the whole time. Like Moses, right? Like God shows up to Moses in the burning bush. And the Lord begins to just like share his will with Moses. And Moses is stoked about that until the Lord says, and Moses, you're going to be the one to go. And stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And then Moses all of a sudden gets confused. He's like, what? Have you ever been that before? Like, have you ever been in the presence of God and and the Lord is blessing you and revealing things in Scripture to you? and, And you're reading the word of God and you're sensing that God is doing something. But it just can be so confusing sometimes. I think about Jeremiah, the Lord's tender word to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. So beautiful. I've called you and I've consecrated you and I have set you apart and you're going to go and share my message with the people that I send you to. And do you know Jeremiah's response? This is Pastor Zach's translation. What? He was confused. I think of Mary. I was just talking with somebody just a few moments ago about how quickly December is going to get here. Right? How fast it's going to come upon us. And here's what you're going to learn again in December when we get to that story where the angel appears to Mary and says, Behold, God bless you and peace and goodwill on earth and all those things. Mary, listen, I've got some good news for you. You're going to have a baby and he's going to be the Christ. And Mary's response, what? Right, like this incredible news that God is through Mary going to bless the world and and God is at work in her life and and it's confusing for her. The, The most important moment in human history was the moment that the rock and the stone was rolled away and the risen Lord Jesus not only conquered sin but death as well. And on that third morning, the tomb was empty And do you know that before praise erupted, confusion took over. They got to the tomb and they didn't know what had happened. Now here is God reconciling the world to himself, conquering sin and death. The tomb is empty. It's Easter morning, right? It's Resurrection Sunday. And the people who get to the tomb are confused. When God is at work in the lives of humans, it is confusing and transforming. Now, to the Bible students, the Bible scholars who are here this morning go, wait a second, Pastor Zach. The word of God says that the Lord is not the author of confusion. I agree. I agree. It isn't the will of God to confuse us. But it is sometimes the byproduct of what happens when almighty God does stuff that my human brain can't understand. 
And it can be both amazing and awesome and redemptive and powerful and earth-changing and all of those things. And at the same time, when I'm trying to process it, in that moment, I'm going, what? Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've known that the hand of God was upon you. And you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to do this? How can I do this? How will I do this? So I say to you this morning, be encouraged. Because when the, when the hand of God is upon us, it can be both transforming and confusing at the same time. While it is true that our Lord is not the author of confusion, our Lord does not want you to be confused about where you stand with God. Our Lord does not want you to be confused about his call for your life. The Lord wants you to have clarity with that. And we know that because here in this very story, the Lord gives that clarity to Saul. Which brings me to the second point. This, <clears throat> excuse me. This morning, if you're making notes, the second point is that when the Lord is interacting with humans, it's always from a place of authority. It's always from a place of sovereignty or power or authority. And I want you to see that in the scripture this morning. And, and especially since we're talking about whether or not God wants for us to be confused. No, because uh, Saul is confused in verse 5. Who are you, Lord? Very next verse. Actually, even in verse 5. I am Jesus whom you are persecuted. The Lord doesn't want for us to be confused. But I want you to notice in verse 6 the authority with which the Lord Jesus speaks to Saul. Who up to this point has been the self-proclaimed enemy and oppressor of the church. So let's look at verse 5. It says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Verse 6. I want you to see the authority in this statement. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now, I know that everybody has their favorite translation of the Bible. We have some King Jamesers in here. We have some new King Jamesers in here. We have some NIV lovers here. We have some NASB lovers in here. We have the sanctified people who love the ESV. We have all different kinds of translations. If you were to take every single translation, the whatever translation you're using this morning, and you were to take that scripture, verse 6, out, and we were to paste them all right next to each other, do you know what not a single one of those translations will have? A question. Because in every translation, it's a statement. Jesus isn't asking Saul, could you? He's telling him, you will. Now pause. <laughs> Just pause. I know that some of us may feel uncomfortable with the Lord's audacity. We might be thinking to ourselves, wait a second. There was no invitation there. Saul didn't go forward and say, yes, I will. I'll serve you, O Lord. Like there's no opportunity to say no there. Like how does this work out if this is the, the authority of God, if this is the authority of the risen Lord Jesus, who is he to tell us what we are going to do? That's a fair question. I'm going to answer it by reading to you some Psalms. Here's Psalm 33, verse 6. If you're asking the question, who is the Lord? 
to presume authority in my life? Here's the answer. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, the hosts became into existence. That's who. (laughs) If you say, who is he? To exercise that type of authority in my life. He is the one, according to Psalm 33, that spoke and the heavens came into existence. That's who. Psalm 33, 9, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Now, I know that there's a difference between answering the question, who is God to make these demands of me? It's one thing to answer it intellectually. It's another thing to answer it emotionally. Intellectually, we can all get there, can't we? We are made by him. We are secured by him. Our breath that we take in right now and release is a gift of God to us. So intellectually, we can get there. But emotionally, you may feel uncomfortable With verse 6, with Jesus just saying, listen, you're going to get up and you're going to go to the city and you are going to be told what to do. You may be here this morning saying, I could never obey the Lord Jesus like that. I believe in Jesus. I sing to Jesus. I think about Jesus and I pray to Jesus. But I don't think I could ever obey Jesus like that. I, with respect, disagree. Here is Saul, one of the most prolific, violent persecutors of the people of God up to that very moment in time. And in one interaction with Jesus, he is ready to obey the commands of God. And so, who is this risen Lord? And what do we know about his character? His character, whether we struggle with it or not, whether we embrace it or fight against it, his character is such that when he engages humanity, it is from a place of authority. And so, so far, we've understood that when the Lord interacts with people, it can be very transforming, but it can also be very confusing. We've learned that when the Lord interacts with humans, it's from a place of authority, always from a place of authority. It doesn't mean that the Lord is not compassionate, kind, gracious, inviting. Yes, the Lord is all of those things, but we see in verse 6 that the Lord says, you are going to get up and go. And Saul does it. Now we get to the third point this morning and I say to you, I know that preachers are not supposed to have favorite points, but we do. And this one is my favorite point because it teaches us so much about the heart and the character of who God is, especially as it relates to people who are fighting against God as their enemy, resisting, rebelling, running from God, seeking to crush the kingdom of God or damage the church. Here's what I want you to see about this. I'm going to give you this note, and then we're going to look at these other verses, verses 10 through 22, to see this truth unfold in God's word. When the risen Lord is active, excuse me, when the risen Lord is active, 
Uh, the goal is not to destroy the enemy. The goal is to convert the enemy. I'm going to give you a moment to write that down, and then we're going to see that play out in verses 10 through 22. So turn with me, if you would, to verse 10. And what we've been watching unfold is an experience with a person who believed that, that damaging the church, attacking the church, doing violence and harm to people who follow Jesus, that, that that person believed they were doing the right thing. And all of a sudden, while they're on the road to do that more and more and more, they have this experience with the resurrected Jesus. And we discover not only a lot, of, a lot about Saul, but we discover a lot about the Lord. And I want you to see... Uh, here in Acts chapter 9, what continues to happen uh, as, as the Lord continues to interact with Saul. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. So a scene change, right? Now, the Lord has said to Saul, you're going to get up, you're going to go to Damascus, and you'll be told what you're going to do. So Saul could not see, and he didn't eat or drink for three days. And now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Isn't that how you want to respond when the Lord calls your name? Hey, Zach, here I am, Lord. What can I do for you today? The Lord said, Ananias. And Ananias said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias to come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. That's what the Lord said to Ananias. Now, let me ask you this. Do you know what part of the story Ananias is not aware of? His experience, Saul's experience on the road to Damascus with the resurrected Jesus. So in Ananias' mind, the Lord has just asked him to go present himself into the presence of Saul, who likes to kill followers of Jesus. And so when the Lord tells Ananias to do that, verse 13, Ananias answered him, Lord, I have heard many things about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem and here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And, and then he stood up, he arose and he was baptized and he took food and he was strengthened. And for some days he was with the disciples and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? 
But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And so when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill Saul, but their plot became known. And so if you keep on reading, you'll, it, you'll discover that he ends up escaping and he continues to travel and he continues uh, to preach the gospel. So here's what I want you to see this morning. All, a lot of scripture. The Lord doesn't seek to destroy his enemies. He seeks to convert them. Listen, why is mission so important to this church? If you're new to this church, what you're going to discover about the fellowship is that we are passionate about sending people to preach the name of Jesus all over this globe uniquely and especially to people who have never heard. Why are we passionate about missions? Because our living God is a missionary God. Our living God lives on mission to find people who, who has not responded to the gospel and bring them to the gospel. The Lord could have snapped and Saul could have just fell dead on the road to Damascus. I mean, he could have really sent a message. If you oppose the church, you will pay the price. But that's not what God did. Instead of destroying him, he converted him. And so as we read verses 10 through 22, I wrote down four transitions that happened. I want to share these with you because I want you to see what the heart of God is. From enemy to family is what Saul experienced in that experience. From enemy to family. The reason that I say family is if you'll remember back when we read the text, Ananias went to the house and he addressed Saul. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to bless you and to minister to you. And do you know the significance of that <clears throat> in the early church? And even today, you'll hear people talk about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. It's, it's because the kingdom of God really is a family. And so when, when Ananias says to Saul in that house, in that room, when he's going to lay hands on him and pray, pray over him, and when he says, brother Saul, the significance of that is that someone who was literally a terrorist to the Christian church in one moment with Jesus becomes not an enemy but a family member. That's the transition that happens <clears throat> from destruction to building up the church. Saul's goal was to destroy the church in one interaction with Jesus. He became not the destroyer of the church, but the builder of the church. Another transition was from public aggression to the people of God to the public proclamation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is the Son of God. The very gospel that Saul was aggressively and publicly opposing, when he got to Damascus, he was the chief proclaimer of that very gospel. You see, it isn't the heart of God to destroy his enemies. It's the heart of God to convert them. Maybe you need to convert today. Maybe you need to turn to God today from, be, from being the persecutor to being the persecuted. Isn't it interesting that when Acts chapter 9 opens, Paul is persecuting the people of God. And by the time we get to the end of the chapter, Paul is one of the members of the people of God who, are being, who is being persecuted. 
And so this morning, as I think about how do we respond to such a rich and such a meaningful characterization of the risen Lord, I I just wrote down three challenges that I want to share with you. Now, I want to be clear. These three challenges are for the people of God. So maybe this morning, uh, the word for you is you need to have that Damascus-like experience. Now, you may not experience a shiny, bright light, and it may not throw you on the ground. But listen to me when I tell you this. Every one of us needs to have the experience that Saul had where we get up onto our feet a new person and we are walking in obedience to Jesus from this point on. And if you haven't had that experience yet, I want to encourage you to take that step today. That is the most eternally significant step you could take today is to choose to yield to the authority and the power of the risen Lord and become obedient to him. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. But now if you've done that already, I want to give you three pastoral challenges before you go this morning. The first is that I want to challenge you to leave today with a heart full of encouragement. And I want you to be encouraged that even in seasons where you may be experiencing confusion, You may be struggling and you may be understanding cognitively that God is doing something around you, but you may not really know what that means. You you may be struggling to understand where is it that God is working in my life. I want you to be encouraged knowing that even in your confusion, God is still at work and people are still seeing the hand of God at work. The second challenge that I want to give to you this morning is when you leave with a heart full of encouragement, that you leave with an attitude of humility and submissiveness. I believe one of the greatest challenges that faces the church today, within the church, is this attitude of I will decide what I want with my life and what is best with my life. And the Lord can bless me as the Lord chooses, but I will be the determining factor about my life. I want you to understand that is not how the Lord enters into relationship with you. And so the quicker we can get to that place of humility and the quicker that we can get to that place of submissiveness like Saul did, the better. I want to be clear. I'm not talking about submissiveness to me. I'm talking about submissiveness to the Lord. And so let's not only have a heart of encouragement, but let's have an attitude of humility and submission to the authority of Christ. And the third one, I want to challenge you to have a radical prayer life. And what I mean by that is I want to encourage you to spend some time, even maybe with the notes that you have there before you, And remember, we're talking about what does it mean to live in a post-Christian world, and we're looking at Saul, who was a great persecutor, aggressor, a violent man towards the people of God. And you may be thinking to yourself, oh, listen, there's so many people who are aggressively attacking the people of God and the things of God and the perspectives of God and the word of God and the values of God and on and on and on. Okay, maybe so. Here's, Here's how you can have a radical prayer life. Those people that you're thinking about, write them down on a sheet of paper. 
Make a list out of the names of people that you believe have demonstrated actively create aggression towards the things of God. And when you have that list, reflect upon it. And come to the place in your reflection where you can say, you know what? This person right here, circle that name. That person is the most aggressively seeking to damage the church today. I want you to be clear on who it is you believe in your life is seeking to bring the most damage to the things of God. And then I want you to start praying for that person. And I want to give you three things that you can pray for that person that will not only do incredible things for that person, but will grow you spiritually. First way to pray for that person that you believe is seeking to damage the kingdom of God is that the Lord would make them your family. Let's get to the place where we can say a prayer like, Lord, would you take this person that seems to be so clearly against the things of God and would you make them a part of my family so that I will literally spend eternity with them in heaven? That's a bold prayer. That takes a lot of something in here, doesn't it? I mean, the people that you're uncomfortable, the person that you're uncomfortable with, who's doing something that you just feel so angry about, you believe is damaging the faith or the kingdom of God, start praying that they would become a family member. Secondly, pray that God would give you an opportunity to minister to them. I can't imagine what it must have been like for Ananias to take his hands and put them on the face and over the eyes of the man who watched Stephen die. But he had a chance to put his hands on a man who had been a terrorist to the church. And he had a chance to pray for him, to minister to him. And I just think the courage that we would have to say, Lord, let me have have that opportunity. The person in my life that is furthest from the cross, would you make them my family? And would you let me minister to them? And then, Lord, would you allow me to stand in awe as you take the person who was so rebellious and so angry and so against you and so violent towards you, would you give me the chance to watch as an entire city is amazed at how you transform their life? Father, we close our time this morning praying that bold prayer. As we think about your character and your heart towards a guy named Saul who hated you and hated your followers. 
And in one moment, in one interaction with you, Jesus, you transformed his life. Teach us, Lord, that that is what you want to do with the people that we fear. With the people that we may feel internal anger towards as they strike out against the things of God. Make them our family, Lord. Let us minister to them. Give us the opportunity to live long enough to see you do amazing things through people who once considered themselves your enemies. And now they are your servants. Thank you, Lord, for the story. Thank you for Saul and his life. Thank you for your character and your power. We are grateful today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.